0: The matter is, you really cannot understand the New Testament without some grounding in the Hebrew Scriptures. So that's part of the the goal for this summer. So I'm going to be reading a lengthy passage of the seventh chapter of the book of Amos, and um, I invite you to follow along. By the way, one of the things I'm going to encourage you to do is, I know we don't live in a tradition where we bring our Bibles to church. Matter of fact, I went out with a Lutheran girl in high school, and I brought my Bible with us, with her to church, and she asked me, "What's wrong with you?" And she says, "We have our Bible. We have Bibles at our church." You know, so, I, that, but I grew up in tradition to carry the Bible. But here's my assignment for you: If you get bored during a sermon, pick up a Bible and try to find the Book of Amos. Okay, all right. If you if you don't get too bored, find the Book of Amos uh, uh, sometime today. I'll give you a hint: It's after the Big Prophets. You go Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Daniel, Hosea, and then goes Joel, Amos, Jonah. They're not, and the chronology gets messed up after Ezekiel, but that's where it is. So it's it's towards the latter third of the Old Testament. Okay, there'll be a quiz later about that. Listen to the word of God. This is what the Lord God showed me. He was forming locusts at the time. The latter growth began to sprout. It was the latter growth after the king's mowings. And when they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, oh, Lord, God, forgive, I beg you. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It should not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord God was calling for judgment by fire and it devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, oh, Lord, God, cease, I beg you. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, see, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to King Jeroboam of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the very center of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile." away from his land. So Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go, flee away to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I am a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flocks And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel will surely go into exile away from its land. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our heart that through your word proclaimed, we may hear you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, about 10 years ago, I was sitting in a settlement of Tekoa. Tekoa is about five miles south of Bethlehem, not too far from Jerusalem. And it is the ancestral birthplace of the prophet Amos. In 1975, it was a, became a military installation for the Israeli army. It's in the middle of the West Bank, and it is now the home of an illegal settlement. Israeli settlers came in there and took land from their Palestinian neighbors, and I'm there <laughs> with a study group, and I'm, I'm, I'm fairly tired of talking at this point because we've had all these pretty intense conversations. The day before, I was in the West Bank and was going back and forth with a Palestinian priest. Today, we had someone from the opposite end, a leader of the settlement, who was going back and forth with one of my colleagues who was an academic, and it was getting very heated. And they were talking about an area that allegedly I was an expert on, which I, that's questionable. And I could see the leader of the group trying to get my attention. And I was ignoring him because I know he wanted me to get involved. And finally, it was, it was getting very intense. And so I did step in. And the leader, of the, um, the leader of the settlement, who was also a very successful international businessman, said this. We will not leave our homes here, we will fight. So I said to him, so you would kill your fellow Israelis to defend this land that was not yours in the first place. I was reminded (laughs) that day of, in just a little way, maybe what it felt like to be Amos saying very unpopular things in a hostile environment. (laughs) Um, And so we switch to the scene probably in Bethel, which was one of the religious sites, a place of a temple for the northern kingdom. And here's Amos, who is not a prophet, until a few months ago. He was minding his own business, a herdsman and a farmer. But God told him to go north. He is from Judea. And at this time, by this time, Judea and Israel were two different places. We'll talk about that in detail uh, in the following hour. But he's not even speaking to, if you would, his own countrymen. And we're told at the beginning of the book of Amos that the word of God came to him two years before the earthquake. So we can date this. There was a massive earthquake in this part of the world. Probably archaeologists and geologists, it was over eight on the Richter scale. So Amos is preaching with the clock ticking. And the northern kingdom at this point was the most prosperous it ever was. It was the largest geographically it had ever been. It was doing really well because of the turmoil around them. So at the peak of its economic prosperity, the land was as large as it ever was. They were enjoying great wealth. It was a harvest festival, the fall harvest festival, which eventually becomes uh, Rosh Hashanah, right? This prophet shows up and says, this is all about to end. Earlier in the book, he says this, the Lord is about to judge you because you sell the righteous for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals, they who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. You profane my holy name. You worship every God that you can worship. You come to God and you drink the wine that you have bought from the silver you have stolen. The book of Amos is a collection of sayings, prophecies, and visions compiled over a period of time. They were given in a backdrop of a number of disasters that in those days were seen as signs, right? Famine, locusts. But the people didn't listen to the signs, they didn't listen to Amos. We're not even sure Amos survived the encounter that we just read. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a betting man, but if you say that to the most powerful man in the territory, What he just said if you say you're going to die and your wife's going to become a prostitute whether or not you survive that meeting but the followers of amos kept his words and so one of the questions what do these strange words have to do with us today well in part it reminds us that being a follower of god is not an attempt to win a popularity contest amos did not go up there and risk his life leaving his job and his family behind because he thought it'd be a nice vacation. Truth sometimes is a matter of life and death. And Amos, because he believed that God was the God of all, had to listen to what God said. Carl Barth said the, the role of preaching, I think, is like prophecy. Your job is to take people more seriously than they take themselves. The great Abraham Heschel said this, A prophet's true greatness is his ability to hold God and humanity in a single thought. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I saw a preview for the movie Oppenheimer, and I don't know if you remember or not, but there was a theoretical possibility that when they you know, released a nuclear bomb, uh, that it could set off a chain reaction that would destroy all of existence. And I can imagine they're sitting in a room and go, so in other words, if we do this, we could destroy everything that exists? And they, and they go, yes. All right, well, well, we'll take that chance. Right? But isn't that kind of what's going on? In our world today, a little bit? Okay, you know, all right. Train wreck in India, tsunami in the Far East. Okay, some more kids were shot somewhere else. Okay, now what are the baseball scores? The Lord showed me a wall and he had a plumb line. God holding a plumb line, measuring his people. I was working on a, we had a mission trip down in North Carolina and uh, we had a lot of people on this trip. So we were working at different sites and I was making sure everyone had supplies. We had probably a hundred people working that trip, over a hundred. And I kept getting reports from this one site that people didn't want to go back. Now that's not unusual but people were saying they were getting sick working at this site. And and I said, well, is there something toxic there? No, you need to come see. And how many of you have ever been in a funhouse? Remember the old funhouses? Okay, boy, you walk into this building, immediately you're doing this, okay? And people were getting vertigo working in there. And I said, well, what happened? And here was the story. I actually wrote to the director to remind me of this story this week. A father decided he was gonna build a house for his family. A beautiful idea. His adult daughter had some special needs kids and he was gonna build a house. And he was a skilled carpenter. There was only one problem. His level was broken. So his level always looked straight. So, <laughs> so, so the house was literally askewed. You, you'd walk in and you'd start feeling dizzy. Uh, And it was impossible. We We worked for all week to try to fix it. They worked for a year to try to fix it. They spent thousands of dollars to try to fix a house that was always crooked. It always was never going to come up to the plumb line. The book of Amos begins with a judgment on the nations, but it ends up with the people of God, its own people. And I think we are making the same kind of mistake that the father made. Sometimes we measure our lives in the world with a plumb line that isn't straight. And one of the great things the prophets remind us to do is self, to examine ourselves in view of what God wants of us. Again, I told this story before and I told the kids earlier uh, my, my oldest son saying, I wish you would have treated me like the other kids in the youth group. But I had to remind him, I loved you more. That's why I was harder on you. Sometimes to get to the good news, we have to hear a little bit of the bad news, right? And so the prophets are to be a mirror, to show us a mirror that's clear, not one of what we want to see, but to look at ourselves the way God sees us. From Amos chapter four, I overthrew some of you, but you were like a brand snatched from the fire, yet you did not return to me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. I worked at a church in college, and it was, it was out in the country, and the preacher was a fire and brimstone preacher. And The sign to advertise the church, our marketing strategy, was an old faded sign that said, prepare to meet thy God. One night, I tried to get a couple youth group kids to knock it down, Uh, um, uh, but it was in concrete. (laughs) So it didn't work. I'm pretty sure that prepare to meet thy God never got us any new members or visitors, all right? I think a lot of people just kept driving. We need to stay away from that place, right? <laughs> and again, this idea of God's judgment is used as a weapon, right? There are a lot of people who are really good at judging others, right? And not so much themselves. But if we really do love justice, if we really want justice to roll down, you begin by looking at your own life. That's, that's the trouble, right? It's easy for Christians to be judgmental if they don't look at themselves. But the prophets are not asking us to judge other people. The prophets are asking us to look at ourselves. And you know, it may sound very harsh to say, prepare to meet your God, but we're always preparing for things, right? right? You do extra cleaning if you know people are coming to your house. My one grandmother always gave us new underwear for Christmas. Her rationale was, in case you have to go to the hospital, then you won't be embarrassed. That my grandmother's chief concern was not that we might go to the hospital, but that we'd have clean underwear, new underwear. That's a whole other issue, right? (laughs) We prepare for inspections. So it would make sense that maybe the most important thing in our lives is that we're in right standing with God. Might take a little preparation. Might take a little self-reflection a little self-examination. And there are things in our lives that keep us from loving each other properly, if there are things in our lives that prevent us from loving our neighbor as we are to love ourselves, if there are things in our lives that prevent us from doing the kind of love God would have for ourselves, if there are things in our lives that prevent us from loving God, then don't we want to get that cleaned up? Right? Okay. I mean, new underwear is important. I'm not against that. Although I refuse to give it as a present, but nonetheless, right? All right. And, you know, it's good to make your house look nice for guests. What about making your soul be in order for the living God? Why do we need prophets? Prophets. Well, the same reason we need saints, and I'm I'm borrowing a quote from G.K. Chesterton that he talks about why we need saints, but I think it applies to prophet. So I'm going to use the word prophet where he used the word saint. The prophet is a medicine because he is an antidote. Indeed, that is why the prophet is often a martyr. He is mistaken for a poison because he is an antidote. He will generally be found restoring the word world to sanity by exaggerating whatever the world neglects, which is by no means always the same element in every age. Yet each generation seeks its profit by instinct. And he is not what people want, but rather what people need. Therefore, it is a paradox of history that each generation is converted by the prophet who contradicts it the most. One of the questions to ask is, what, what do we need in 2023 that contradicts our natural impulses? Brother Amos cared enough to give up everything to give the people in the north a chance to meet their God. May God give us the same kind of grace to be open that we may meet God as he comes to us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to stand with me and together profess our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.